Does the family matter? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by the Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me is Josh Hayes. So, Josh, family matters? Yeah, family matters. We have to reference the 1990s sitcom uh, that was really a staple of the uh, TGIF lineup on ABC. You remember that? The, I the do. Goodness, it's Friday lineup. I do remember the Urkel phenomenon well. Oh, yes. And... Uh, I'm still scarred by it a little mm. bit. So yeah, you've so brought it, some trauma back. Uh, Thank it reached you. all the way to Canada, from all the way from yes. the, the American Broadcasting Company to, to Canada. That's right. Exotic Canada broadcasts American TV <laughs> as well, Josh. Yes. You're learning new things every day. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but we are talking about family relationships. And uh, while most of us have had a lot of our understanding of shape of family shaped by sitcoms that's true um, legitimately i mean we we watched um you know i know i know no one's supposed to talk about bill cosby anymore but uh, we all grew up on the cosby show yeah we we grew up on full house mm-hmm. and um the brady bunch and you know i'm a little young for the the brady bunch just, to, what, just re, to well reruns man oh, okay yeah. reruns I'm gonna watch reruns. I'm gonna watch something. The that... TV movie sequels too. They did have those. Yeah. yeah. So so there you go. But we all we all grew up on stuff like that, and um, and so there there's a degree to which the which our our culture really has made it its aim to shape our understanding of the family, and that's why shows like. Um, uh, Parenthood, for example, as as one of one of the more recent ones, um, that had a had a profound cultural effect um, in terms of showing different kinds of families and and things like this. And um, but the Bible has a lot to say about this too, and the Christian faith has a lot to say about about families and family relationships as well. So today we are looking at that, and we are gonna so we're gonna go through our. Uh, description and definition of of this based on scripture and um, we'll talk about some bible we will talk about some implications of it and we'll go to town so uh, this one is a little bit of a longer definition so buckle up everybody so uh, when we talk about family relationships here is what we mean god has ordained the family as the foundational institution of human society it is composed of persons related to one another by marriage, blood, or adoption. Marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in covenant commitment for a lifetime. It is God's unique gift to reveal the union between Christ and his church and to provide for the man and woman in marriage the framework for intimate companionship, the channel for sexual expression according to biblical standards, and the means for procreation of the human race. The husband and wife are of equal worth before God, since both are created in God's image. The marriage relationship models the the way God relates to his people. A husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. He has the God-given responsibility to provide for, to protect, and to lead his family. A wife is to submit herself graciously to the servant leadership of her husband 
even as the church willingly submits to the headship of Christ. She, being in the image of God, as is her husband, and thus equal to him, has the God-given responsibility to respect her husband and to serve as his helper in managing the household and nurturing the next generation. Children from the moment of conception are a blessing and a heritage from the Lord. Parents are to demonstrate to their children God's pattern for marriage. Parents are to teach their children spiritual and moral values and to lead them through consistent lifestyle example and the and loving discipline to make choices on biblical truth or make choices based on biblical truth and children are to honor and obey their parents. So there's a lot there. We could yes. just talk about marriage. We could talk about parenting. We right. could talk about the value of human life in all of this as well. But we're, we've got it kind of all together here. Mm -hmm. But if we want to summarize this down a little bit more simply, it I, I would say this, that the human family is God's idea. And it's good for both individuals and society when it operates based on the on the way that God the rules that God has put in place for it. Yeah, that, that's a good succinct way that we we must remember that that the 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 concept of family, the institution of marriage, these this didn't emerge randomly. It's not just something that evolved. Though there there is development and change from you know one time period to another in terms of what family might look like normally and broadly speaking, but it's God's idea that humans uh, reproduce and um, sort of uh, gather or group together in, in, in this way. It's not, it's not accidental uh, that this is the way society finds itself arranged. It's based on the, on the, 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 the concept of, of family and the institution of marriage. And since they're God's ideas, these are going to be favorable to human flourishing given that they align with God's design for marriage and, and family. Yeah. Where are some places in Scripture that we see some of these concepts? Sure. I'm going to highlight uh, a few passages that are foundational. We're not going to read all of them since uh, we'd be reading longer passages. And we just had a, a long a doctrinal uh, statement that we read on, uh, on, on the family. Uh, but Genesis 1 is always a good place, Genesis 1 and 2, to, uh, to ground things. And so we see God, when he creates uh, man, uh, he uniquely privileges man in the way that there's this, this, this pause, this speaking uh, of, of man's uh, dignity and identity and role in, in the creation and, and making humanity in his image. He creates the male and female and he gives them a task, and that task is to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. So it's through the family that these uh, that this is this is going to, going to happen. We see it in the broad broader. We see the broader presentation of it in Genesis one, where he, he creates humanity, male and female, and then gives this um, this commission to be fruitful and multiply. And then we we get the specific. Uh, ordination and constitution of marriage in, in, in Genesis 2 that gives more of a ground level um, perspective on God's uh, creation of humanity where he first formed man and then he forms the, the woman out of man and it wasn't good for 
man to be along, alone, uh, the Lord God says. So he makes the woman as a helper who corresponds to him, who complements him. That's where we get where we get the concept of complementarianism when it comes to holding to that view of uh, husband-wife uh, dynamics in, in marriage. And, the, and when God created the woman, uh, made the woman from um, the, the side of the side of a- Adam, um, there, there's this sanctioning of the, of the marriage relationship that he takes woman from the man. And then he, God speaking here, states the, the natural, the normal pattern of life that the, that the man and the woman are to share together. The man is to leave his father and mother and, 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 and develop a uh, intimate union with the wife, enter into bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. The two become one flesh. It's like they're one organism together. Um, in, in the marriage, and so, and there's ideally before before sin, there's n- no nakedness or shame between the, the the man and the woman. So this 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 um, this weaving and cleaving and achieving the way I've I've heard it put uh, with with human with a human couple coming together between one man and one woman, and so then you have the context for this 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 relationship of of love and commitment between one another that produces offspring that allow further relationships of love to exist both among siblings but then when they go out and depart from their own households and uh, create families uh, of their uh, of their own they follow this pattern of of leaving weaving cleaving and achieving to to use preacher talk there of a rhyme so that it that it sticks but this this leaving out of one's family and starting another household uh, that's based on this this marital bond, this union, and within this context of love, um, procreation happens, and so yeah. human human flourishing happens because uh, th- this is a self-sustaining way for for humans uh, to exist. It's the only way they could continue to exist until you know recent decades where we've had certain reproductive technologies, but before that, the human race depended on um, this sort of uh, convention in order to to advance. Uh, we, as, as we had referenced in the uh, statement about family relationships, uh, Paul's instruction is formative and uh, that he comments on this, this marital union and shows that it pointed all along to, the, to a deeper mystery that, uh, that, that he um, describes in Ephesians 5 in, in relating the relationship between husband and wife to the relationship of that of Christ and the church. And so, as husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies, and you, that, that should just be uh, second nature for a husband to, to love his wife, just as it's Christ's uh, purpose and determination to to love his church and church. And Paul grounds the the whole reason for marriage is to reveal and reflect this relationship that God has with God has with His people in Christ. For this reason, Paul says in Ephesians five verse 31 a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh this mystery is profound but i am talking about christ and the church so christ and the church uh is meant to be reflected in marriage marriage is is secondary to this christ church relationship it's the it's the icon it's the image of the greater reality that is God's love for his people in the church. So it's not something we get to invent in marriage. It's not something we get to name the terms for. It was God's idea, and so he determines the rules because it 
reveals something true about him mm-hmm. and his commitment to to his own people. And further, you have within this this context of this this loving, um, submissive relationship between husband and wife that this to exist. They both submit to Christ. The the wife is to submit to her husband's leadership. The husband is supposed to have her needs and her good um, prioritized above his own. Uh, for, uh, this, uh, where it's second nature to, to serve his wife and to sacrifice for his wife, just as it was the case for Christ in the church. But within this context, you have children who were trained up to obey uh, their parents uh, as, as they would obey God, recognizing that God is the one who establishes the authority of parents to, to um, lead and, and guide uh, their children. So Ephesians 5 is instructive. You could also go to, uh, I believe it's First Peter 3 is another um, mm-hmm. place in the New Testament that, that speaks to, to marriage uh, relationships. And in, in grounding this in the biblical storyline, so we see marriage is reflected in, and fulfilled, the, the reality that points to in the, in the relationship between Christ and the church. Well, if you think of man's commission, Humanity's commission to be fruitful and multiply. The way that truth about God, the way that knowledge of God will be passed down, will be passed on through the through the families. People were fruitful, multiplied, subdued the earth. They would be taking the knowledge of God from one generation to the next. And so we see that that principle, that idea carried out uh, in Israel as God as God continues His creation purposes and them as a people to model for the world what it's what it should look like to live under God's good and loving rule. In Deuteronomy 6, uh, 1 through 9, if you want to go re- read it yourself uh, to, to, get the, to get the full context, but he, he instructs his people uh, to pass on the commands and ordinances, the statutes of, of the law, of the Torah, of the, of, of the laws he gave it to Moses to, to pass on to, to, to Israel. Uh, that they are to pass these things on from one generation to the next. That they're to they're to talk about these things and meditate on these things, and um, as they go about their day before before their children. So this knowledge of God mm-hmm. is to be passed down from one generation to the next, and the family is is the context for that. So yeah. that hopefully gives our listeners a, a broader uh, framework for understanding marriage and family and how it works into God's purposes of revealing Himself and advancing His purposes. In, in creation, and uh, again, the, those passages being Genesis one and two, Ephesians five, Deuteronomy six. Those those are highlights that that help us see the the underlying uh, patterns that are that are present throughout throughout Scripture. Just see God's purposes um, coming to fruition through the through the through the convention of the family. Yeah, yeah, and um, and that really gets us into the areas of understanding that we need to develop when it comes to when it comes to family relationships. And so um, one of those things is, and this is significant, is that we need to be mindful of how um, sin has affected the actual lived experience and expression of the family. And so it's really easy for us to talk about the ideal, of family according to according to God's intention and God's standards and um, the value that God places on it. But we also have to rec- recognize as well that in 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 the the world in which we live, that very few of us actually experience anything remotely close to that ideal. 
um, while not all of us grew up in, um, you know, in families that experienced divorce or just um, single parent homes in general for other reasons or um, or we we may have grown up with um, a great deal of transition due to foster care or um, adoption brings its own unique set of complications um, in terms of family dynamics. Adoption is a wonderful and good gift from God, obviously, but um, so hopefully that didn't sound um, dismissive or anything like that because it's certainly not the way that it is intended. Um, uh, even even abusive situations, um, those all those all mess up our understanding of of what a family is and the way that we can talk about it can wind up allowing or causing people to either feel marginalized or um or in some cases feel almost subhuman right that because their experience was not this that something must be fundamentally broken with them personally as if it was their fault um as someone who grew up in a single parent home i can i can tell you that you know, and while that's very nor- much more normal now than it was even in the 1980s when I was a kid, um, I didn't have a category for what a two-parent ho- home was. It was strange to me, and um, you know, and to not be a latchkey kid, um, I didn't understand. I didn't understand really having parents actively involved in my life until I became a parent Hmm. and had to figure that out for my kids. Um, And so, and that's, you know, listeners don't hear me complaining about my childhood or anything like that because God used all my experiences to bring me here to this place at this point in time. Um, Just to say that, that, increasingly we are going like you all all i hope resonate with the fact that what we experience is not is not what god has outlined as the best for us um in that as well um so there's two sides there's there's two things that we need to need to recognize here one is that we actually do need to make sure that we that we recognize this in in our um, in our talk, and that as we do, that we we recognize that God um, honors um, these atypical family structures um, or outside of His um, out outside of out of step with His uh, His intention uh, situations, and uses those according to His purposes just as much. As he uses more, more quote unquote ideal circumstances, um, we all um, we also need to point people to toward redemption in Christ because of the way that our upbringing and our family backgrounds, how those shape our relationship with God Himself. Um, father, like people who who grew up in fatherless situations. Can or in um, abusive situations, can have a very hard time with parent language in Scripture. Calling God Father is not a comforting thing for for the for the individual who has faced who has been abused by their father. 
Um, the answer is not to start calling God mother, of course. The answer is, is to is is to be praying and helping and helping that individual walk through the process of having their understanding of father redeemed and restored in light of who God is right. and not in light of their experiences. Um, and this is what and this is a very difficult thing. Um, in this as well, we also have to acknowledge the fact that um, even the language that is in Ephesians about the roles of men and women in marriage um, can be a little bit difficult for people to understand, particularly because our sin can cause us to um, both ignore what comes before this passage in Ephesians, but also to um, to fail to recognize that um, the the uh, the the that the calling that the man is given in in this marriage discussion that that Paul gives in Ephesians five that it is significantly um, it is a significant challenge. Mm-hmm. Because it's literally a call to death. It's not a call to rule over your over your house as a tiny monarch, um, and to demand submission um, of your of your spouse. Um, if you have to demand submission, by the way, guys, you're you're blowing it altogether. So um, maybe talk to someone. But. Um, but in this, we we do have to recognize that um, that submission happen submission is contingent upon our obedience to Christ. Someone who is who is joyfully submitted to and following Christ is not going to be a challenge to uh, for our spouses to follow or for our children to obey. And so, as husbands, we need to make it our aim to with God's help and with God's people's help as well to um, have him be our focus and how do we submit to a greater degree to him how do we joyfully love and serve our families um, in the way that he has called us to yeah and I think the way that we posture ourselves to those who come from broken families or families that you know are Compromised from the the ideal of, of God's design, someone which might not even be the fault of the fault of their own. It can happen through tragedy and abuse, as you mentioned. Uh, it's just with humility to recognize that none of us in our families have it all figured out. None of us have achieved that ideal of God's intent because sin affects even the the nice, clean cut suburban families, so to, so to speak. And so, all all families are flawed and in need of redeeming. And so we have. The vision that God has for family painted for us in the Bible, such as in the passages we look, looked at, and there's this path toward redemption, toward redeeming uh, the fallen aspects of the human institution as it's expressed and lived out in, in day-to-day that, that Paul, for instance, outlines in, in, in Ephesians 5 where the, the husband takes up the call to self-denial for the good of his of his wife and the the wife follows Christ by submitting to her husband's lead and the children submit to their parents uh, instruction and teaching and expectations 
for, for, for their own good. That, that doesn't actualize in a perfect way in any household. So with humility, we all recognize we all fall short yes. of, the, of the ideal. And so with that posture, we, we come together and can learn from each other of how better to seek out and live according to God's intention for the, for the family unit. Um, and uh, what's the good news for the Christian? Because you have individuals redeemed who might not, you know, might have severed ties from their family, might be cut off from any sort of obvious family base. We all have a family in the church. The church is uh, spoken of as the family of God. And in Scripture, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're there because of our generous older brother Jesus who. Uh, was willing to give up his inheritance and share it w- with us, mm-hmm. and we all have one uh, Father in co- common, and God the Father. And so, for those in the church, we are all, we're all being redeemed uh, to uh, a point where we are the ideal members of an ideal family, but we're not there yet entirely. That doesn't happen to until the new heavens and new earth where we experience the, the fullness of our adoption in Christ and being uh, those who are God's uh, covenant people and his, his family uh, forever. So that's just where the humility, where none of us are there yet, so there's hope. And, uh, but nonetheless, we recognize that, that there's the present effects of sin. Uh, another aspect we, we need to consider whenever we're talking about what's revealed is the, is the ideal uh, of something in, in Scripture is that there's not one uniform way. You can have unity, and you can have an ideal without uniformity, so all families won't look exactly the same according to culture and time, and so we need to recognize how God's revelation of what a family should be, what marriage should be, uh, that transcends to time and, um, and culture, and so it's, so the expression and the practice uh, is going to look a little different in each culture given the, the social uh, dynamics uh, of, the, of the time and what becomes sort of normal normalized as, as regular experience for humans and, and, and family situations. So it's going to look different according to various uh, cultures, and that's both for good and bad. There are good yeah. things in each culture and bad things in each culture. No culture has arrived and gotten there yet because we're not in the new heavens and new earth but in the in the in the west um especially in the west when we hear the term family we think of the nuclear nuclear suburban uh, form uh, of the family but that's not the only uh way uh that from a biblical worldview the family is is validated and, and legitimized because if you look at the way families were structured even in the old testament so you're in a ancient Near Eastern context, households uh, were, were bigger and broader than what we consider them today. So we shouldn't equate um, suburban households of, you know, husband, wife, kids, and dog as the, as the biblical idea, but rather that there are these family units that are based around marriage. And in, in ancient Israel, it would have been based around the oldest living male. It was a patriarchal society so the oldest living male would have been the head of a household and so that could that would you know be someone usually of a, of a grandparents age mm-hmm. and then you would have you would have a, other adults in the, with children uh, adult children of theirs being part of the, this household and for 
ancient Israelites, just like with most most ancient peoples, their identity didn't come first and who they were as individuals. That's more of a, a modern Western uh, way of, of looking at, at our at ourselves. And so that that the the outlook on the individual as the as the baseline. Uh, form of identity that's also particular to uh, a, a given culture. It was not so in the in the ancient world. So in the ancient world, again, giving looking at the ancient Israelites as an example, uh, they would see their identity through the lens of their patriarchal household, then what clan or tribe they belonged to, and then how they were part of a larger nation known known as Israel. So that would have mm-hmm. it would have been more thinking themselves in a communal way in a, in a collective way in terms of household clan and tribe and nation as opposed where we start with individual then we might go to family and then if we care to go beyond that we might go to our community and then to our you know nation or whatever part of the world we might we might live in so mm-hmm. ancient times households included more than husband wife kids and dogs and in the, in the modern West, we tend to equate family with immediate family, that nuclear core. Whereas that's not always always been the case. And there's there's good and bad of both of, of both those things. But yeah. God still cares about and provides for families that look different to the rest of society. So there might be a normalized understanding of what family looks like uh, in a society, but that doesn't mean that those whose uh, household membership might have a different amount of people than usual, uh, different types of relationships. So as you mentioned, there's single parent homes, there are families who do foster, foster care. Those look a lot different. And, and then there's, there's households who might have multiple relatives living in it. There might be family friends who live together and they feel just as much as family as, as, um, as anyone else in the, in, in the, um, in the household does. So we need to, we need to understand that normalized family demandics they, they they look different according to time and, and culture but god's underlying design of this this foundation of of of, of marriage being at the, at the core of them uh, nonetheless uh, nonetheless uh, exist um exists throughout uh, human history and we'll, we'll we'll say some more about marriage here in a moment yeah and it is important that we um that we dig into this just a little bit more as we as we keep talking about marriage because we do need to know that there is opposition to God's design for the family particularly with respect to marriage um it is an aspect it is a it is a way in which uh the world's uh the world's opposition to God which we talked about fairly recently um in one of our doctrine episodes um that this plays out um but one of the things that is interesting is is that um, at, is that at the core of a family, so whether you look in modern times or or in ancient times, the majority view has been that marriage that we see marriage between men and women. Now, sometimes this gets perverted into something else. Um, so polygamy is is the key example of this um, and this is even something that we actually see recorded in the bible and so whether it's um and and that's because it was a it was reflective of the broader culture at the time um so david solomon the patriarchs on and on and on 
all were pol all were practicing polygamists. But we need to be careful here is that in in that we don't assume that because the Bible records it and says that they were polygamists, um, that that means that God approves. Right. Polygamy from from the first time it happened was a departure from God's design. God's design we saw in the garden. Right. Which was a man and a woman together. That's it. Mm -hmm. Not two dudes and another lady or two women and one man or or any of these kind of things. Um Polygamy was never part of the plan and never part of the design. And in fact, as you look at the law in the, you know, in the Old Testament, um, you do see, you see, you see as particularly as, um, as God is laying out the requirements for if you end up with a king in, uh, in a, if I remember correctly, right. in Deuteronomy, mm -hmm. um, it was, he, he should not have many wives. Now, how many is many? Well, basically, more than one is many. <laughs> um, let's let's just let's just be honest here. One is enough. <laughs> one is enough. Not um, not the countless um, number that Solomon had, um, along with his concubines. Um, and so, polygamy takes advantage of women, and it doesn't require a man to be sing singularly committed to his wife. And that is what God's intention was. Um, if anything, polygamy is just another opportunity for um, for men to sin against women. Right. And so, the Bible doesn't the Bible doesn't approve of that at all. The Bible is a very a very pro woman book, <laughs> um, and so is actually the the intention of marriage according to God. Is it is a very pro um, it is a pro human flourishing sure. concept, um, including for women. Um, now, until recently in Western nations, um, since we've only talked about polygamy, which is on its way back in as well, um, even if people like to to start using words like polyamory and then mash Greek and latin together and <laughs> make things terrible um on an uh, on a different level than that terribleness um but we'll often use that as um as their way of saying well it's still we don't like we're not we're not married <laughs> right they're right. just taking the marriage part of it but they're they're involved in multiple relationships with multiple people um anyway uh polygamy takes uh so we've talked about polygamy in ancient times um, it is coming back into um, into vogue in our time, um, usually a good sign of the decline of civilization. Um, but um, up until recently, marriage was almost universally recognized as being exclusively between one man and one woman. Human flourishing and procreation um, take place in this context. Like I was saying, there is no other convention or institution be that better balances the legitimacy of the individual with the greater good as a whole. And basing society on because basing the society on um, 
radical individualism leads to chaos and competitiveness in terms of what society should be and what types of individuals should flourish. In other words, a lot of the things that we see right now mm-hmm. um, and basing society on any uh, group beyond the standard household can lead to the privileging one group over another. And uh, again, in other words, what we're seeing right now. The household built around marriage contributes best to human flourishing because it makes society self-sustaining. Um, so, and not just because of procreation within marriage, but not not less than that. Right. And it provides a baseline of support for individuals within that family. I mean, think about um, think about how often individuals become homeless. Um, and I mean, there's multiple reasons for this. Um, but um, a healthy, functioning, functioning, flourishing family reduces the risk of that. Right, right. Um, and so we have to recognize these things, that, that healthy, functioning, flourishing families are good for the world. And so if families are good for the world, then we should champion that. And, right. and as the church, we should be championing that, even as we recognize the, the, the fact that we live in a fallen world where where the ideal doesn't always get to meet reality. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's where not only can we um, lovingly proclaim um, marriage as the, as the best uh, foundation for, for society on the basis of the revelation God's God has given us and that he's confirmed it, he's the one who sanctioned it, uh, but also just push back with people, what what's your better idea? What 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 else can we base society on? Because we've seen we we continue to see as you as you mentioned, Aaron, the uh, the disastrous results of when you try to prioritize some other convention, some other for uh, some other type of uh, relationship. So what what other institution can preserve that that healthy balance between um, the individual and the and the and the greater good? Because if we all share families we have that baseline of support but then we're all going to want to uh, promote uh, conventions and standards in the society that that help families and then in turn families help society because they're they're self-sustaining they give the the society um, something to be built upon societies need people for there to be uh, production and for and for for civilization to to continue to have people to maintain its infrastructure uh, and so I don't want to speak about it just in terms of pure utility because families should also be built on love that this this procreation comes out of love and then ideally that would be poured into the the society as well but on on a utility level not to be confused with being a utilitarian but on a utility level there really isn't another convention uh that that an effective um self-sustaining society can can be built and that shouldn't surprise us because this was this was god's idea as a way to grow the human race and to advance knowledge of him as they uh seek as his image bearers to subdue the earth uh, on it on his behalf god partnering with us and being our kind and good king to install us as those who represent him and our, our task to to um, um, cultivate the earth uh, for uh, God's glory and for for human flourishing um, 
this would be a good time to transition to what difference uh, this doctrine yeah. makes our understanding of the of family relationships and we've already spoken to some of them just in addressing marriage as the building block of, of society the, the fundamental unit of society and so because it is from God as I, I was saying and that's you know we know that on the basis of revelation but then we see that practically worked out we, we should value and, and, and embrace the family as a gift from God and, and see his goodness in it and his authority over it. it's not our idea it's it's his idea and so when we see it as something given by him as opposed to something that just happened to evolve and what humans rolled with at one time or, or another uh, we, we we are prone not to just see this as an incidental um, reality or something that that's negotiable but we're going to embrace the family embrace marriage for what it is and because we trust God and his goodness we'll trust that it's good for us and, and good for others so um, you know, as we as we described earlier, broken and unhealthy family dynamics. You know, perhaps having a, a bad relationship with your father growing up that that can turn you off to the idea of God as father. It can turn you off to the institution of family in general. Just your your life experience can do that. But we we don't want to equate our own bad experiences with an institution with an institution. Uh, with the institution itself, right? So you can have bad forms of something that is, that is still good. Uh, just, you know, most people don't don't endorse anarchy just because government can become corrupt and inefficient. We still want human government uh, for the sake of uh, preserving people's rights and protecting people's property and and so forth. Um, because God is the one who created family, that means we need to respect His wisdom by trusting him that it's good for us, both as individuals and collectively as, as a society. So that, that's, what, that's what difference the doctrine will make. It'll make us see our own families, our own marriages, our own relationships in life as something not accidental but given to us from God, but also it'll, it'll encourage us and embolden us to pursue God's design and championing it to, to toward others because we know it's, it's good for them. It's good for society at large. Yeah, yeah. And um, and in that as well, um, it also it, we we should also see the family as as an opportunity and a conduit for how God advances knowledge about Himself. Right. Um, I mean, remember that that be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That is, that command, that uh, that commission that was given to Adam and Eve. Um, it uh, the Great Commission intentionally calls back. To this. Yes. Yes. So just as we once uh, were called to fill the earth with physical offspring, right? Um, we are called to go into all the earth and bring and see new life come, uh, uh, come to people of all nations through the gospel. And so, uh, and so we want to. And so this is what we want to do. We want to join as a family on mission together and so and so we have that opportunity god gives it to us so let's embrace it together so on that note uh that's probably a good place for us to wrap up for today josh so uh thanks all for listening to today's episode of the podcast if you enjoyed it please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on apple podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show and for more resources to focus your ministry on the gospel please visit gospelproject.com